Questions to the Prime Minister. Julian Sturdy. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Indeed. Secretary of State, Mr Dominic Raab. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I've been asked to reply. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, is in Manchester for the Conservative Party conference. He is making, as we speak, the keynote speech setting out that we will leave the EU on the 31st of October so that we can get on with our dynamic domestic agenda. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Askenbog, a world-renowned nature reserve in my constituency, has been described as irreplaceable by no less than Sir David Attenborough. Yet it is threatened by proposals to build over 500 houses on adjoining land. Will my right honourable friend put in a good word with the Prime Minister to ask him to join me in lying down in front of the bulldozers to save this important natural heritage? Can I thank my honourable friend? I always uh, put in a good word with uh, the Prime Minister on his behalf, and I share his passion for preserving our precious natural habitats. Local community views are, of course, incre- incredibly important in relation to the local planning process. That's what our revised MPPF does. He'll understand I can't comment on individual planning applications. It's Diane Abbott. Mr. Speaker, yesterday marked the start of Black History Month. So I will begin by paying tribute to a young woman already making history this month. Dina Asher Smith became the first British woman in 36 years to win a sprint medal when she won silver at the 100 metres in Doha. Tonight, she's aiming to go one better in the 200 metres and I'm sure the whole house will wish her well. I think that was a preface to a question. Uh, Mr. Speaker, if I may continue uninterrupted. Last week, my honourable friend, the member for Dewsbury, raised the very specific issue of how many of the hundreds of abusive and violent messages she receives use the Prime Minister's own words. The Prime Minister dismissed these concerns as simply humbug. Since that exchange, my honourable friend has received four further death threats, some again quoting the Prime Minister's words. Death threats and abuse is something that women across this House experience. Will the Foreign Secretary take the opportunity to apologise on behalf of the Prime Minister for his initial dismissive response? Can I thank the Right Honourable Lady and uh, my eagerness to get rise to the dispatch box was only because it is fitting in Black History Month as the Right Honourable Lady becomes the first black MP to take to the dispatch box for PMQs. To say that she has blazed a trail, she has made it easier for others to follow in her footsteps and that is something that I and every Honourable Member in this House can take pride in paying tribute to. 
She raises the increasing level of online and wider abuse that politicians get on all sides of this House, and I think we should come together to be clear that there must be zero tolerance for any abuse or any threats. Now, can I also say I found the level of abuse that the Right Honourable Lady has received online to be totally disgusting, totally unacceptable. At the same time, and I'm sure as a passionate champion of free speech, she will defend our right in this House to defend the issues of, hus- uh, of, of substance. The uh, remarks that the Prime Minister, my right honourable friend, made were aimed at the suggestion that he couldn't describe the Surrender Act in such terms. It is absolutely clear, it is absolutely clear, given the substance of the legislation, that it would achieve that and undermine the ability of the government to go and get a deal in the EU, which on all sides we want to achieve. Diana Burt. So we can take it there is no apology from the Foreign Secretary. I raised a very specific point that the member for Dewsbury raised about the abuse she gets using the Prime Minister's own language. Yes. Mr Speaker. Deliberately disturbing billboards showing unborn fetuses have been put up in the London Borough of Walthamstow. They're upsetting for the women walking past, but particularly upsetting for the member for Walthamstow because these billboards are targeted at her in response to her work to decriminalise abortion in Northern Ireland. Abortion in Northern Ireland should be decriminalised on the 21st of October. What will the Foreign Secretary do to ensure that from later on this month, Women in Northern Ireland will have the same human rights to legal and safe abortion as women in England, Wales and Scotland. Well, can I say to the Right Honourable Lady, and she's referred to the uh, other Right Honourable Member and the abuse that she's received, that I and all members of this House, I know, believe it is totally unacceptable. There is a place for, for free speech, but we should never allow that to cross over into abuse, intimidation or harassment. Honourable Members on all sides of this House going about their business. The most important thing we can do on the specific issue that she um, addresses is get the institutions in Northern Ireland back up and running so that they can exercise their rights, their prerogatives on the behalf of the people of Northern Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I noticed the Foreign Secretary hasn't said anything about those horrific posters, not posters anyone would want to see, particularly someone who's actually pregnant, as the member for Walthamstow is. Mr. Speaker, Labour last week reiterated its call to end the rape clause, which forces women to fill out a four page form to prove their child was born of rape to get financial help. Will the Foreign Secretary today back Labour's pledge to remove the abhorrent rape clause from universal credit? Well, um, I would say that we've looked at this issue and we continue to look at it. Um, I, I think... I think... I think on the subject of using inflammatory language, it's incumbent on all sides of the House to be very careful about it. But I know that my right honourable friend, friend, the uh, uh, Secretary of State for DWP, looks at this and will continue to take questions and scrutinise this very carefully so we get the balance right. Of course, I would just gently say to her that on the Labour side, they want to abolish universal credit and engage in an open spending spree on handouts. That is the wrong thing to trapping people into the welfare trap. On our side, we want to help those people from the poorest backgrounds get into work, and our record speaks for itself. Diana Burt. How more dismissive 
can the Foreign Secretary be to people and families dependent on benefit? We're not talking about a spending spree. We are talking about a system which is fair, which is just, and doesn't subject people to undue humiliation. Mr Speaker, last week, the 100-year-old travel company, Thomas Cook, went out of business. We know that 72% of its workers are women. We also know that although governments around the world stepped in to save subsidiary Thomas Cook companies in their own countries, the UK Business Secretary thought it wasn't her job. Can the Foreign Secretary explain to those workers, some of whom are with us today, why their government sat idly by? Well, first of all, I would say to the Shadow Home Secretary, we didn't uh, sit idly by. The efforts of the government to make sure that those holiday makers and those travellers who are caught overseas could be returned back to the UK, uh, coordinated by the Transport Secretary, have been very effective, uh, and uh, uh, that has required a huge amount of cross-government work, including in my own department. In relation to whether the government should step in uh, and bail out uh, Thomas Cook, it's very clear, if you look at the financing behind it, that it wouldn't have rendered the company more sustainable. It wouldn't have saved the jobs in the long run. And we are, of course, concerned to make sure that in the long term we've got a sound economic basis. We've created uh, three million new jobs uh, in this country since 2010. We'll continue with that. What we're not going to do is routinely bail out companies that are unsustainable. That's not the right way to go. Nobody's asking the government to bail out, routinely bail out companies. What we are asking the government is why won't you even meet with the workers? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, whether it's women members in this house, women claiming benefits, women's reproductive rights in Northern Ireland and the failure to support women workers at Thomas Cook, isn't this a government letting women down? Well, I'd say to the Ryan Trommel lady, on this side of the house, we're proud to be on our second female Prime Minister. Yeah. And I... Well... Well... The, I want to hear the First Secretary's answer. He's embarked on his answer. I want to hear it. I think the House will want to hear it and everybody else will want to hear it. Mr Rob. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Labour front bench are pointing to my right honourable friend. Well, I'd like to take that opportunity to pay tribute to the right honourable member for me. For her accomplishments in tackling human trafficking, for her accomplishments and drive to tackle violence against women, and for the domestic violence bill that we'll be introducing in this House today for further debate. Diana Burt. The Foreign Secretary hasn't mentioned the fact that there are over 600,000 more women and girls in poverty then now than in 2010. Yeah. And, and can I just say gently to him, I was a member of this House when Tory MPs defenestrated the then female Prime Minister, Mrs Thatcher. And I've been a member of this House, I've been a member of this House when Tory MPs worked their will to the to the immediate foreign, uh, the immediate female prime minister, and it seems to me 
that Tory members of Parliament may on occasion make women their leaders, but they need to learn, they, they need to learn how, they need to learn how to treat them less cruelly. So, can I just gently say to the Shadow Home Secretary in relation to Margaret Thatcher, um, that if she wants to talk about treating them better, she might have a word with the Shadow Chancellor, who talked about going back in time to assassinate her. That's not appropriate language on her side. She talked about Labour's record. Can I just remind her that because of Labour's economic mismanagement, we saw female unemployment rise by over a quarter. Now they want more debt, more borrowing and higher taxes. On our side, we're proud. Female employment at record lows, higher percentage of women on FTSE 100 boards and the gender pay gap at a record lower, lower than under the last Labour government. Order, order now, order, 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 order. I believe I'm right in saying that the Shadow Home Secretary has had her six questions. <laughs> there will be more. Margot James. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the right honourable gentleman agree that legislation to establish a tough independent regulator of internet companies empowered to challenge the automatic right to anonymity yeah, yeah. online be a, prior, be a priority for the Queen's speech. My honourable friend is absolutely right. We want to make the UK the safest place in the world to go online for our children but also for all members of our society and our online harms white paper set out our plans to make companies more responsible for their user safety online, especially for children and it also sets out uh, measures to reinforce powers to issue fines against those who put them at risk. Yeah. Ian Blackford. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It is a disgrace that the Prime Minister is not here. Yeah. Since he's been elected, since he was elected in July, he's only been to one Prime Minister's question. Quite simply, he's running scared from this chamber. Mr Speaker, right now, the Prime Minister is setting out his Brexit fantasy at the Tory party conference, a deal that he knows is unacceptable and doomed to failure. When this deal fails, as they know it will, Downing Street sources have insisted the government will not seek an extension. They will not obey their legal obligations. Mr Speaker, yet again, this Prime Minister is prepared to act unlawfully. Has the Prime Minister not learnt his lesson? He is not above the law. Yeah. Can the Foreign Secretary confirm, are these sources correct, that the Prime Minister will not obey the law? Is this government seriously planning to take on Parliament in the courts to force through a catastrophic no-deal Brexit? Or will the Foreign Secretary now rule that out? Yeah. I say to the Honourable Member, of course this Government will always adhere to the law. We are, um, at this moment, the Prime Minister has written to Jean-Claude Juncker, setting out our proposals. Uh, we want to take forward the negotiations. We want to avoid a no-deal scenario. And actually, rather than undermining the negotiations in Brussels, I'd urge the SNP to try and support the Government in securing a deal which is good for this country. He talks about respecting judgments. 
We will always respect legal judgments. I would call on the SNP to respect the judgment of the people of Scotland when it comes to staying in the United Kingdom and the judgment of the people of the United Kingdom to give effect to the referendum on the EU. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, we will always respect legal judgment. Mr Speaker, the fact is that this Prime Minister cannot be trusted and his Foreign Secretary can't even commit the Prime Minister to the letter of the law. Mr Speaker, this government must be stopped. I'm looking now at colleagues on opposition benches and I urge them, we must unite. We must stop this Prime Minister by removing him from office. Mr Speaker, the Scottish National Party stand ready to bring this government down. Other parties need to step up at this moment of national crisis. Prepare a vote of no confidence. Ensure a Brexit extension. Prevent a no deal. And call a general election. Doing nothing is not an option. We must act. So I asked the Foreign Secretary, will he give the Prime Minister a message from the Scottish National Party? It's not a case of if, but when. We will bring this dangerous government down. I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, he's at risk of sounding like he's all mouth and no trousers. Because because he had the chance to vote for a general election and he turned it down. He had the chance to avoid no deal and the best chance now is to back this government in securing a good deal, good for the United Kingdom and good for all quarters of the United Kingdom, including the people of Scotland. Mr Peter Bone. Um, Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Saturday, I was out knocking on doors with my listening team, listening to the views of local people, as we do every week. The message to me, whether they will leave or remain voters, was crystal clear. Get Brexit done by the 31st of October. Deputy Prime Minister, can you reassure my constituents that we will leave the European Union by the end of this month, come what may, no ifs, no buts. Can I thank my honourable friend? He gets straight to the crux of the matter. We must leave by the end of October, come what may. We're committed to doing that. The most effective way of doing that, which will unite this House, bring the country back together, is to get behind the Prime Minister's efforts to secure a good deal. And I think it's incumbent on all members on all sides of the House to support the United Kingdom rather than trying to undermine the, we- the negotiating position in Brussels. Theresa Pierce. Thank you. Housing, I believe, is the first of the social services. Without it, you can't have education, productivity or health. And the NHS has a diagnosis code for inadequate housing. And the Department of Health wrote to me saying that poor housing costs the NHS 1.4 billion a year, but that figure is now four years old. Will the Secretary of State ensure that I get up-to-date figures that the Department of Health writes to me with the most up-to-date figures and places that information in the library? 
Well, I thank the Honourable Lady. I'll certainly pass on the specific request to the um, Secretary of State for Housing. Uh, she's right to raise the issue of the quality of housing. When I was Housing Minister, we uh, developed proposals for social housing green paper. We want the social housing tenants to feel like they're treated with respect. I remember meeting an individual who said we ran his own business, but when he went uh, to work, he was treated with respect. When he came back home to his housing association, he was treated disres disrespectfully. That's not right. And I would just gently say to her that we have delivered over 222,000 additional homes in the last year. That's the highest level in all but one of the last 31 years. And we've built more council housing than in the previous 13 years of the last Labour government. Yeah. Yeah. Mr Kenneth Clark. Uh, Mr Speaker, Sir John Major rang me about half an hour ago. Uh, oh dear. To, 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 simply to give vent to his indignation, which I already fully shared, uh, that a, a major policy announcement of historic significance, uh, our last offer apparently to the EU of a withdrawal agreement, uh, was being made not to this House of Commons, which is not even to have a statement, uh, and not after discussion in the Cabinet, most of whose members know nothing about it, uh, but in a speech to a Conservative Party conference in which the Prime Minister, who I remind you was one of those who voted to stop us leaving the European Union at the end of March, uh, began the speech with an attack on Parliament. Uh, now, I will, if, if a deal is obtained, I will be delighted. I will apologise to the Prime Minister and I will vote for any deal that is agreed amongst the 28 member states of the European Union. But can the Foreign Secretary reassure me that, because it seems to me obvious otherwise, that this is not just a party political campaigning ploy to blame the European Union for the lack of agreement and to arouse fury between people and Parliament so as to escape from the responsibility which seems to me to lie with the Spartans and the far right of the party with whom he and the Prime Minister used to be close allies. I thank my right honourable friend. Um, can I just on the specific point, the proposals that we are setting out uh, to Brussels, and David Frost, the, the Prime Minister's Special Advisor, is over in Brussels doing that, will be set out first in the House of Commons. They'll be pub they will be published. No. The, the Shadow Foreign Secretary is, is chuntering from a sedentary position, but the, the proposals have not been set out in Manchester. They will be set out in written proposals to Jean-Claude Juncker, and they will be published in the House later on. And I would gently say to my right honourable friend, and I know, I know later today the Shadow Foreign Minister is, Foreign Minister is continuing to uh, talk from a sedentary position, but I just say to my right honourable friend, he and I have always had slightly nuanced but differing views on the EU. But I think the one thing that we all want to do is get a deal right now, and that's why the attempts by Parliament to frustrate that have been deeply counterproductive, and also to give effect to the promises that on all sides of the House we made, to give effect to the referendum and to keep trust with the electorate of this country. Eleanor Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Government's up-to-date 
of the National Planning Policy Framework, published in July 2018, changed the policy we have for generations of not building on the green belt. It's a policy that allows future development to be considered. Local planning authorities are now coming under great pressure from developers who don't want to spend the money to improve brownfield sites. Because of this, unspoilt areas like the seven cornfields on the edge of my constituency are now under threat from inappropriate development by house builders who put profit above all else. We should not be building on these sites, especially at the time of the concerns for the environment. I'm asking the Prime Minister to review the Green Belt policy to protect, to protect the areas like the seven cornfields from the developers. Lady, and actually, her concerns on this are shared right across the House, so I think it's uh, um, something which will be of uh, interest and importance to, to everyone here today. Uh, the National Planning Policy Framework is very clear. Uh, Greenbelt must be protected, brownfield sites must be brought forward, and in order to provide a greater boost to the supply of new housing, we've introduced measures to boost the density and the ability to raise up homes in more urban areas or suburban areas uh, whilst protecting the Greenbelt. There has also been a huge amount of money that has gone in right across the country in terms of infrastructure development to make sure that we can build the right homes in the right places but also answer the significant concerns of local communities who ask where will the schools, the housing, the roads come from. We're making sure that we give councils the support they need to build the right homes in the right places. Miller. The Government is backing a new hospital to serve Basingstoke with money to develop our business case. Does my right honourable friend agree that a bid that could include new jobs, uh, new state-of-the-art facilities and new homes is a bid that everybody in North Hampshire should get behind? So I thank my right honourable friend and it sounds like a very tantalising proposal and I'm sure the Health Secretary will look at it um, very carefully indeed. Uh, we've made clear that we're backing the NHS with the biggest cash boost in history, an extra £34 billion a year by 2023-24. You can only do that with a strong economy and that's precisely what the Labour Party will put at risk. Yeah. Lucy Powell. Very much Mr Speaker. On Monday my constituent Richard should have been paid. It was the first time in his life that he wasn't. Richard, like many others that I met with his union Unite, was a dedicated employee of Thomas Cook. Given that the warning signs were there for months, if not years, will the government use this extra parliamentary time that we've now got to bring forward emergency legislation to stop a further airline collapse? And will he pledge now to expedite Richard's redundancy pay yeah. and to recoup the millions taken by the directors in the last few yeah. months? Well, can I first of all say that I feel for anyone, uh, whether it's people stranded abroad or people that lost their jobs, in relation to the Thomas Cook scenario, I've set out the position of why the government doesn't systematically uh, bail out or step in to prop, in, uh, prop up firms which are unsustainable. And I'm afraid if, she, if the Honourable Lady looks at those figures, I think she'll see that that wasn't a sustainable route to go. But of course, if she wants to write to me, we'll make sure we, we look at any of the details that she raised. But the bottom line is we, the way we create, create a healthy economy, the way we create jobs, is by making sure you've got uh, the, the tax measures in place, you're not raising tax on businesses, uh, and you're supporting the workers of this country, and that's what we're doing. Mr Donnie Grieve. Th thank you, Mr Speaker. I first of all congratulate my right honourable friend at being at the dispatch box as Deputy Prime Minister. How is it that the government is allowing special advisers at number 10 Downing Street speaking on behalf of the government to tell outright lies. Yeah. 
Uh, he will, should be familiar that on Saturday, such a special adviser, who I believe is Mr Dominic Cummings, told the Mail on Sunday that a number of honourable members were in receipt of foreign funding in order to draft what is known as the Ben Act, something which in itself is totally untrue, but moreover went on to say that this was going to be the subject of a government investigation, something which is also completely untrue because mercifully this country is not yet run as a police state by Mr Cummings. Well, I thank uh, my right honourable and noble uh, and learned friend. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what the uh, what the question there was, but the position of the government, the position of the government, is that advisers advise and ministers decide. And in relation to the legislation, which we have rightly dubbed the Surrender Act, it is right that that gets the kind of scrutiny that a government would, would, would get, whether it's the scrutiny from the executive, parliamentary select committees in this House, or indeed the declarations of interest uh, that, that should come forward in the normal way. Patricia Gibson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Secretary of State set out clearly and unambiguously for this House in what circumstances will the Prime Minister write to the EU Council President a set out in the terms of the Bain Act? Uh, uh, The Government has been very clear. Um, We will respect the law. We will respect the law. But we are not going to extend beyond the 31st of October. And I would ask all honourable members who signed up to that shoddy piece of legislation uh, to reflect on the fact that with the multiple conditions, the £1 billion a month that it would cost the UK taxpayer, and undermining the position of the UK government to get a deal in Brussels, whether actually they're courting the no-deal scenario they pretend they want to avoid. Shailish Barra. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And may I join in the tributes paid earlier to the Right Honourable Lady on her historic achievement today. Mr Speaker, today marks the 150th birth anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi. Would my Right Honourable Friend agree with me that his message of non-violence, religious tolerance and greater rights for women is as applicable today as it was in his lifetime? My honourable friend is absolutely right, and I would go one further and tout the words of Martin Luther King, who said that we should, and I think on all sides of the House, believe in a society where you are judged on the content of your character, not the colour of your skin, let alone your gender. And that's why on this side of the House, we're proud of our record, of record levels of BAME uh, communities in employment, children from BAME communities uh, taking more rigorous GCSEs. We've got the first Asian Chancellor, the first female Asian Home Secretary, and I'm proud to be in the most diverse cabinet in history. Thank you Mr Speaker. My constituent Anne has an autoimmune condition and needs 20 tablets a day to control pain. This medicine is her lifeline and without it she could die. But she's been warned that a no-deal Brexit will mean a severe risk in their supply. Can the Secretary of State say why his government is willing to risk her life and many others by refusing to rule out no deal, choosing a policy of ruin over delay. 
have to say to the Honourable Lady that of course we share the concerns of anyone in the position of her constituency. That's why the head of the NHS, Sir Simon Stevens, and the Health Secretary have said that they have put in place uh, all the necessary arrangements to make sure that in a no-deal scenario medicines will continue to, to, to flow across the border as required. But if she really wants to avoid a no-deal scenario, get behind this government, getting a good deal in Brussels, and that's the best thing for all concerned. Rudd. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I congratulate my right honourable friend for his role today. I remember when my right honourable friend uh, resigned from the Cabinet because of his disagreements with Brexit policy, a route I subsequently became familiar with. Uh, but does his experience not remind him that there are honourable different opinions across this House about how we leave the European Union, about how we interpret the will of the people? And the essential thing is that every member here representing their constituency has a role to play in that and can I urge him when working with my right honourable friend the Prime Minister to make sure that any decisions any progress is taken through this house I can give uh, my right honourable friend that reassurance. I do understand, and we've always managed to stay on civil, cordial, even amiable terms throughout all the challenges of Brexit, and I think that's something that we should, on all sides of the House, uh, seek to do. Parliament, of course, has got a crucial role to play. I don't think anyone can legitimately say Parliament hasn't, with the uh, uh, stalwart support of the Speaker, scrutinised uh, Brexit at every stage. But we've also got to remember, on all sides, and particularly uh, on this side, the promises we made to the voters to give effect to Brexit, to get Brexit done, and that's the way we can move on, unite the country and take Britain forward. Mr Clive Betts. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 27th of July, the Prime Minister in Manchester said he wanted to bring Northern City's bus services up to the same level as London. Bus services are really important to my constituents, Mr Speaker. The problem is that currently government funding on bus services in London is £75 a head, in Sheffield, it's £5 a head. While the Chancellor has announced a further £200 million for bus service, it would take half that money to bring Sheffield funding level alone up to the same as London. So I asked the Foreign Secretary, is the Government really going to fund the better bus services that the Prime Minister promised for northern cities like Sheffield? Or once again, have we had a grand announcement for the Prime Minister, which on detailed examination simply isn't worth the paper it's written yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Honourable friend, the chairman of the Select Committee, we're absolutely committed to boosting bus services in his constituency and indeed infrastructure right across the country. That includes transport, that includes broadband, and that means making sure that we have a more balanced economy which can boost jobs, reduce deprivation, make sure we can fund the precious public services we need. And on the specific point he raised, I will ask um, the uh, Secretary of State for MHCLG to write to him personally. Sir Hugo Swire. Mr Speaker, within the last 24 hours, the DPRK has launched a possible uh, submarine-based uh, ballistic missile, if so, that would be the first submarine-based missile they've launched in three years. This is their ninth launch, I believe, since June. Has my right honourable friend had an opportunity to talk to other leaders within the region? And given that this is coming a few days before the resumption of talks uh, with the United States, what assessment has he made of the continuing threat uh, of the DPRK to the region and to the wider world? 
That honourable friend and paid tribute to his time at the Foreign Office, who was a very effective minister, and he continues to make the case from the back benches. We are concerned about the situation in North Korea, and we do regularly raise this with our international partners. There have been a series of missile tests uh, by Pyongyang, uh, which are deeply troubling. We continue to make clear that they must show restraint and adhere to their legal commitments. And of course, there is some bluff and bluster in the lead up to the talks with the, the US. What we would like to see is a de escalation of tensions and a route to denuclearise. Uh, North Korea. Furnace. Mr Speaker, this week I heard from Phil and Rachel Turner, my constituents whose five-year-old daughter Eliza has cystic fibrosis. They are planning to move to Scotland so she can receive the life-changing drug Acombi on the NHS. Does the First Secretary of State agree with me it is a tragedy that families should have to root their lives in this way? Can he confirm today that funding will be found for children affected by this terrible disease so they can take up the treatment without delay? And furthermore, can I suggest that the Government should support Labour's plan of setting up a publicly owned generic drugs manufacturer that would supply medicines to the NHS at affordable rates? Can I just say that I feel for any family and any children in the situation that uh, the Honourable Lady highlights. Um, we are frustrated, as is everyone, that agreement hasn't been reached yet that will provide uh, access to Orkambi. We do have a system in NICE uh, and with NHS England where it is for clinicians, not politicians, to determine the fair price for medicines. I have to gently say, I think the proposals that have been put forward by the Labour Party would put that at risk because they would repel investment, repel innovation, and that's not the right way to get medicines to the people that need them. Sir Henry Bellingham. Mr. Speaker, can I ask the First Secretary to turn his attention today to Hong Kong, where yesterday's events were truly awful? Obviously, the people suffering most are the victims of violence on both sides. But now, a number of UK companies who have interests in Hong Kong are being adversely affected. As one of the guarantors of the Sino British Joint Declaration, supporting one country, two systems. Is there now an argument for him discussing Hong Kong with China in the UN Security Council? And maybe the next six-month report on the declaration could be an opportunity to do this. And I thank my uh, honourable and uh, noble friend uh, and just say this. We are concerned about what we're seeing on the streets of Hong Kong. Uh, we, we, of course, condemn any violence by protesters, but the vast majority are seeking to exercise their right to peaceful protest. Uh, I think any response by the Hong Kong authorities needs to be proportionate, but what we need above all is to see a political process, a dialogue between the administration uh, and the people of Hong Kong that can lead to the kind of political reform that's envisaged in the, uh, uh, the basic law and is reflected in the joint declaration that he cites. Hendrick. Mr Speaker, the last Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Lady for Maidenhead, created a hostile environment for migrants which made them feel alienated yep. and unwelcome in this country. Examples of this being the descendants of Windrush and now EU migrants. The current Prime Minister is creating an even more hostile environment towards anyone who doesn't agree with the UK leaving the EU on October the 31st without a deal. By invoking the language of war, we talk of surrender, betrayal and capitulation. Why does this government feel the need to whip up such hatred, animosity and division when so many people are already, already suffering from his government's austerity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I first say to the honourable gentleman that we are absolutely determined to 
correct the wrongs experienced by the Windrush generation. We've apologised for the mistakes that were made, and to date, over 7,200 individuals have been, have been given the, document, the documentation confirming their status. He talks about Brexit, and Brexit has been a divisive issue for this country in all parties and right across uh, the people at large in this country. The best way of resolving that, bringing the country together, is get a deal, get Brexit done, and move on. And it's incumbent on all sides of the Labour Party to get back uh, in, uh, and start thinking about the promises they've made and get behind this government as we strive for a good deal that works for the country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Secretary of State join me in welcoming the £13.8 million of funding, uh, hospital funding for East Sussex Healthcare Trust, which will be earmarked to upgrade Eastbourne Hospital, which many of my constituents use. A few years ago, Eastbourne Hospital was earmarked for closure. Under the Conservatives, it's now earmarked for investment. Can I thank the Honourable Lady? I'm delighted with the uh, new investment going into her constituency. We've backed the NHS with uh, almost 40, uh, sorry, £34 billion a year by 2023-2024. There's an extra £1.8 billion going into 20 hospital upgrades, and we're also providing £250 million to boost artificial intelligence so we can improve earlier cancer detection, new dementia treatments, and more personalised care. All that will be put at risk by a Labour Party or a Labour government that would tank the economy. Mr Speaker, I recently met a victim of domestic violence who continues to live in isolation and terror even after the abusive relationship is over. This Parliament has a duty to her and to every victim of domestic violence to pass the Domestic Abuse Bill, which finally has its second reading today. Will the Foreign Secretary promise her that this life-saving legislation will not fall due to prorogation? Um, I pay tribute to my honourable, uh, the honourable gentleman. Uh, we want to, I think, on all sides of this house, stand up and have absolutely zero tolerance for any domestic abuse that may happen. The best way is for us to work together in, frankly, the kind of collaborate way that we haven't seen in recent months and years because of Brexit. This is an opportunity, and the opportunity will come today when we debate second reading the domestic violence bill. You met him, man. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last year, I attempted to introduce legislation which would require the banks to maintain uh, or deliver a cash point to every high street that supports 5,000 residents or more on a free-to-use 24-hour basis. Um, I was inspired, Mr. Speaker, because the tourist town of Battle lost its last cash point of that type. I'm grateful that Link have now seen the case for Battle, but I'm conscious that other high streets across the UK are not so fortunate. So, could I ask the Deputy Prime Minister to help set up a meeting with me and ministers to help deliver a boost to all of our high streets? Uh, thank uh, my honourable friend. I'll certainly pass on uh, the point he's made directly to the business secretary and other ministers and see what more can, can be done in the specific uh, neighbourhood that he talks about. The reality is that we do have uh, businesses and, uh, and, and high streets which are suffering, partly because of online competition, partly because of consumer trends. And what we need to try and make sure is that we boost high streets, we boost businesses, and in particular we boost the small businesses in this country that have created over 80% of the new jobs. And all of that will be put at risk by the, frankly, damaging and counterproductive policies that have been come up with, uh, in particular this week, by the Shadow Chancellor. Mr Speaker, many of my constituents in Sunderland who voted Leave are contacting me as they are petrified of the crash-out no-deal Brexit, on top of years of hardship caused by Tory austerity. 
Will the Secretary of State confirm that the Government will obey the law and, and, and request an extension of Article 50 so that people in Sunderland avoid the double whammy of no deal Brexit on top of Tory austerity? Yeah. I have to say to the Honourable Lady that of course we'll adhere to the law, uh, but the Prime Minister has been clear that we must leave by the end of October. That's uh, in order to maintain public trust in our democracy and avoid, avoid the public uh, feeling that parliamentarians, politicians don't listen to what they've said. And if she wants to avoid a no-deal Brexit, get behind this government in securing a deal that all sides can support. Henry Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday I was honoured to speak at the official opening of CAE's new flight simulator and aviation training centre at uh, Gatwick Airport. Uh, will my right honourable friend join me in welcoming this significant aviation inward investment into global Britain? Thank you, honourable friend. It's absolutely crucial uh, that we make this country the best place to invest for technology, uh, for innovation, uh, and that is part of the vision of global Britain. So I uh, pay tribute to the project in his own constituency, and that's what we can deliver if we can get Brexit done and dusted and move on and allow the people of this country to move on. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, the right honourable gentleman and the government talk about the will of the people and the need to restore trust in democracy when it comes to Brexit, whilst completely forgetting that over 16 million people voted for us to remain in the European Union, 13 million people chose to abstain in the referendum and one and a half million youngsters weren't eligible to vote and they now want to say about their future. So on that basis, surely the way to protect democracy is to put any Brexit deal to a confirmatory referendum. Because if we don't have that people's vote, we will leave the European Union without the consent of the majority of people of this country. Say to the Honourable Lady, and I, I know we've got different views on Brexit, but we've always got on uh, professionally and civilly in the past, and I understand the passion with which she holds her views, but I think a second referendum would be the last thing this country wants. Yeah. It would solve nothing, it would put at risk uh, the Union, because it would be a political gift to the SNP. If she wants to avoid no deal, then she should back the Government, not undermine it, as it strives for a good deal in Brussels. Yeah. Michael Tomlinson. Indeed, Mr Speaker, and with the shape of a potential deal becoming clearer. Will the First Secretary of State will the First Secretary of State repeat and confirm his absolute commitment to leaving on the 31st of October? In contrast to the Lib Dems, and I don't think we have a single Lib Dem in the chamber uh, this afternoon who wants to leave. Oh we do, we have one. Forgive me Mr Speaker, I got that wrong. We have one Lib Dem in the chamber. In contrast to the Lib Dems who want to overturn the democratic result and the Labour Party that doesn't quite yet know what it wants. Well, can I thank my honourable friend? He's absolutely right. We need to get Brexit done. The country wants us to move on and to keep faith with the voters. And as for the position of the Liberal Democrats, of all the different views in the House of Commons, I find this the most difficult to understand. How you could have 16 Liberal Democrat MEPs actually writing to Jean-Claude Juncker, telling him not to negotiate, not to do a deal with the UK. That is deeply irresponsible and is courting the very outcome of a no-deal Brexit that they say they wish to avoid. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Did the Prime Minister, as today's Times reports, receive a request from President Trump for help in trying to discredit the Mueller report 
and the role of British and American intelligence in uncovering the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential elections? And will he assure the House that no British Prime Minister would ever collude with any foreign leader to undermine or smear our security and intelligence services or damage their vital cooperation with their American colleagues? The Honourable Member, can I first be clear that the Prime Minister is not going to comment on the discussions with President Trump that were held in private, but I can, I can give him the assurance that, of course, neither the Prime Minister, or as then uh, was the Foreign Secretary, nor uh, any member of this government would collude in the way that he's described. That's, of course, entirely uh, unacceptable and would never have happened and did not happen. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Order!